This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct healthcare advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Susan Tupper. Susan has a Bachelor of Science in Physical Therapy from Western Ontario. She has her PhD in Community Health and Epidemiology from the University of Saskatchewan. And she has held two postdoctoral fellowships at the U of S and the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. Susan was a practicing physical therapist for 19 years, and she continues to be heavily involved in pain research. Currently, Susan volunteers as the chair for the board of directors for the Saskatchewan Pain Society, and she is the principal investigator for the Improving Pain in Saskatchewan multi-year research project. Susan also holds teaching positions through the University of Saskatchewan, and on top of that, Susan has her own lived experience with pain. She is an absolute powerhouse with a wealth of pain knowledge who is actively advocating for improved pain care in our province, and I cannot wait for you all to hear about it. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today on Your Partners in Pain. This is the first episode we are recording, so I'm super pleased to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be here, and I'm so excited that you are doing this podcast, Alexandria. Very excited. How did you get interested or started in chronic pain care and research? Did you have your own experiences with pain, or was it from your physical therapy education? Just kind of walk us through how you ended up in this field. I do have personal experience with pain, and I've actually lived with chronic pain pretty much every day since I was in my mid-teens. So I've been interested in pain um, and the whole topic, everything around pain on a personal level for for quite a number of years. Um, And then, of course, having pain was probably one of the reasons why I went into physical therapy as a career. And, uh, you know, working with so many patients who lived with chronic pain just grew my curiosity about it, and particularly you know, for some people, why it was so difficult to treat. And uh, that motivated me to take over a dozen postgraduate clinical uh, courses to try and learn how to better help patients. And so I I learned all sorts of hands-on techniques and all sorts of exercise techniques and um, different things to try and work with people. And, uh, and then of course that grew into greater curiosity. I wanted to learn how to do research. So, uh, 
uh, probably about 17 years after being a, a practicing physical therapist, I decided to go back to school when my kids were in school themselves. And, and so I went back and got a PhD and learned how to do research and produce the studies that would then help clinicians and patients. And so, yeah, so I get to see this beast of pain from a few different angles. I'm a person who lives with chronic pain. I am a clinician and I'm a researcher too. So I, uh, it, uh, of course, just makes me more and more curious and more uh, fascinated by the topic. Yeah, no kidding. That is fascinating. Just having like so many different like levels of involvement that you have with all that education is, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering, will you tell us a little bit more about your own experience with pain personally? Yeah, so um, there wasn't really any one event that started it off for me. It just kind of grew into this uh, thing in my in my mid-teens um, to the point where I was having headaches and pain in my neck and my arms and down my mid-back every day. And uh, the more I've learned about it, I, I know now that I have this chronic um, uh, chronic tension type headache, but I also get migraines as well. So I have a few different types of headaches that are going on. Um, and it's, it's not an uncommon story for people. Many people say that they don't have one event that kind of started things for them. Um, so I'm, I'm not unique in that way. Um, and, uh, when I was young too, I used to get these, uh, weird episodes of, uh, uh torticollis in my neck. So, uh, Another name for that is cervical dystonia, where I get these really severe muscle spasms that would just kind of pull my head and my neck off to the side. And it was like my my head and neck toppled off my shoulders and would just kind of stick there <laughs> for a few days and or for a week. And I, I could not straighten up my neck, not, you know, not when I'm sitting or standing, not when I'm lying down, like it just stayed stuck there with these incredible, you know, foot cramp type muscle spasms in my neck. And Uh, And I tried everything I knew of at the time. I went for chiropractic treatment and massage therapy. I did stretches and took different medications and uh, nothing really helped. It would just, the episode would kind of settle down on its own. Um, And then just as I took my PT training and did these extra courses, I kind of figured some things out and it was really a trial by error um, of, of finding the right path of what would work for me. And uh, so now I'm at a stage and I feel really fortunate um, if, if I can say that I feel fortunate with my chronic pain <laughs> in that it's uh, I don't get the muscle spasms or I, I do occasionally, but not to the, quite the same extent. Uh, and certainly my pain is a lot better. I still live with pain every day and uh, I've had a headache for 37 years. I tell people, but um, so I still have headaches and occasionally they get in my way and interrupt what I'm doing. But for the most part, I, I'm able to manage them. So, and I do have to do things every day to, to stay on top of my pain. And, and so I kind of think of it like a chronic disease, you know, some people have diabetes and they have to take care of themselves on a daily basis to manage that disease. And so I'm the same way with chronic pain, where I have to do things every day to manage my chronic disease of chronic pain. That sounds really tough, but I am really glad to hear that you found things that help you manage, um, even if it is a daily task, but it is so important. Really work on trying to figure out what works for you. But given this, has your own experience with pain affected you um, as a practicing physical therapist or has it informed your practice in any particular way? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the the main thing is, um, I think that I just, I believe people when they tell me how much pain they're in, even if I can't figure out what's going on with them physically or you know, if my clinical exam doesn't match with their pain findings or what I see on their x-rays or CAT scans may not match up with, with what I'm seeing, 
or what they're saying. It doesn't matter to me. I, I believe what they're what they're telling me, and and so you re, you learn to rely more on what you hear and what people are telling you rather than what you're seeing. Um, and and it's funny because I never really told my patients that I lived with pain, or very rarely I maybe told a couple of people over the 17 years of practice, but. Um, you know, they weren't there to hear my story. It was about them. And so I didn't say, oh, no, I understand exactly what you're going through. I, I never said that. Um, because a lot of patients would say that to me, oh, you wouldn't understand or, or no one knows how much pain I'm in. And, and while it's true that I don't know what they're feeling, and they don't know what I'm feeling. Um, I would often say to them, you know, I don't know what you're feeling, but I believe you and I'm, I'm wanting to work with you on this. So, and I think that was quite meaningful for, for some people. So absolutely. And that is so important in pain care, simply having someone believe you, especially if there isn't an obvious um, structural problem or a diagnosis um, available. I feel like it is so critical to have a care provider on your team who does truly believe you and what you're going through. Or even if they have had um, similar experiences themselves, that for sure helps, especially from the patient perspective. Yeah, I think for for some patients, they you know, or clinicians will say, you know, I I can't find anything wrong with you, and and really, it's it's not a criticism of the person, but often patients will see it as a, a critique of saying, you know, I can't find anything on this CAT scan that explains your pain. Well, the clinician is saying, I haven't found anything, <laughs> but uh, it's important for, for people living with pain to recognize that, you know, that's, it's okay. You don't have to have that tissue-based cause for your pain. Um, and in fact, maybe it's even better than you don't, you just have to deal with the pain. You don't also have to deal with whatever else tissue-wise is going on. So um, even though it can be really a frustrating experience for people and they want to find a tissue cause for their pain, some something to point at that they can cut out or treat that will make all the pain go away. That that's not a very common thing for people living with chronic pain to, to have. Um, but it's not the pain doesn't change. You can change the pain. You just, uh, yeah, you have to use the same approaches and principles to treat the pain, but, uh, just without focusing on one specific tissue or bone or joint or muscle. It's interesting. It's fascinating. <laughs> well, yeah, fascinating for sure. And I think a big thing with patients in particular, when they do kind of get that response from someone saying, well, we can't find anything wrong with you. Um, I think the issue usually comes up where then they don't really offer um, additional education. Yeah. Um, and patients kind of have to go and learn on their own about pain education. And I feel like um, a big part of hopefully the Saskatchewan Pain Society is to help um, provide more resources and information so that if a patient is kind of in that position, there are still steps they can take if that specific care provider cannot help them in that moment, that there's going to be other options. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking to that, I know you are heavily involved in a number of roles related to pain management, uh, pain advocacy, and research. So can you tell us a bit more of some of about some of the organizations you are working with and the projects that you are involved with right now? Um, so my day job, <laughs> I'm a researcher with the Saskatchewan Health Authority, um, and I have adjunct appointments with the University of Saskatchewan in pediatrics and the School of Rehab Sciences and anesthesiology. And, um, and so um, I do a lot of research. That's a large component of what I do for my job. Um, and I have a number of different research projects on the go now, on, you know, with different topics, all related to pain. Um, and, uh, but I also, I'm the volunteer chair for the board of directors of SAS Pain, the Saskatchewan Pain Society. 
And our goal with SAS Pain is to bring together people living with pain, healthcare providers, and researchers uh, to try and improve pain care in Saskatchewan and to support people living with pain, provide information and re um, resources that are available. So SAS Pain is uh, currently supporting a, a few different projects, including this podcast and uh, our webinar, Partners in Pain, which is an online education and community engagement event that happens twice a month. And uh, SASPain also has a website, um, saspain.ca, and a great social media presence. And uh, we share lots of good information and links to articles that are helpful or other websites, um, as well as information about our own projects that we have on the go. And uh, so through all of these, people can find out how to access services in Saskatchewan and learn more about how pain works and what they can do about it. Well, and we are very uh, grateful that SAS Pain is sponsoring and helping us with this podcast. So thanks to SAS Pain, a big shout out. But can you also tell us how did SAS Pain get started in the province? Because I know not every province has um, like a specific pain organization residing there. Yeah, you're right. Actually, it's only uh, the Western provinces right now. So uh, Pain BC and the Pain Society of Alberta and of course SAS Pain. Um, and there's a national, the Canadian Pain Society. Uh, but SAS Pain got started um, more informally about a decade ago. It was actually a, a group of nurses uh, that all had a practice interest in, in pain management, both acute and chronic pain management. And, and this group got together. They recognized the need to kind of organize and um, begin to provide education for healthcare providers and the public. And uh, so they used to hold annual nursing conferences. And eventually they opened up um, attendance to these conferences to um, interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary healthcare providers. And, uh, and they opened up the membership to their group also to people who weren't nurses. So uh, that happened in 2013. And so I joined right away, <laughs> eager to join the, the very um, uh, strong advocates in nursing. And uh, so with this group, we found some, some funding um, through the Saskatchewan Registered Nurses Association and the um, College of Physicians and Surgeons of Saskatchewan. And we held a couple of stakeholder meetings in 2014 and 2017. And uh, with these stakeholder meetings, we had people living with pain, healthcare providers, decision makers, um, representatives from the Ministry of Health came to them as well. And, uh, and through these, we, we wrote a couple of reports on these that are available on our website. And we talked about um, pain strategy. So what people wanted to see happen in the province and one of the things that came out of this meeting, uh, these meetings, was the idea that we needed a foundation that could uh, support more information sharing about pain management, and kind of the networking and the ability to uh, to organize. and And so we applied for incorporation as a nonprofit in 2018, and we've been growing ever since. So uh, this website, uh, the podcast, the um, online partners and pain events, those are just the start of some of our activities. And uh, we've got a great group of board members who have lots of great ideas for how to support people living with pain and the healthcare providers who work with them. And so I'm excited to, over the next few years to see what kinds of things are going to continue to happen and grow and, and how SAS Pain will, will move forward. Me too. And it's a really cool history that I had no idea about. And I'm sure a lot of people will be excited to hear that. Will you tell us about uh, the research projects you're currently involved with? So I have a few different research projects going on. One is a, uh, it's on virtual reality for pain management with people living with dementia and their family caregivers. Um, so the first part of that project, we interviewed people 
um, uh, people living with dementia and their family caregivers on their pain and healthcare experiences and learned about their pain knowledge and pain management needs. Um, and then the second element of that project was to develop uh, virtual reality videos uh, to support both pain management and uh, recognition of pain in people with dementia, living with dementia who can't self-report. So we ended up developing four virtual reality videos that can be watched on a, a VR headset. And we're in the last phase of the research where we're co collecting feedback on the videos. And three of the videos are more experiential and they support pain management. So one of them is a breath control practice. If you're from the Saskatoon area, you'll know Cranberry Flats right down on the South Saskatchewan River. And the other one is a gentle movement practice. We also have a, a set of videos of kind of pet therapy with horses on a ranch. You go into the barn and you watch the horses being groomed intact and then go into the arena and watch the horses walk and trot and canter around. And they go right behind you so you can swivel around with the headset and watch the horses go right behind you. And then the third part of that video, we're in the pasture and the horses, one of the horses comes right up and um, you know, munches on the grass right under the camera. So it looks like you've got this horse head right down at your feet. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's kind of neat because you feel like you're right there and, and it's on, it was all filmed on a sunny August day. And so, you know, the sun is shining and it feels nice and warm, even though you're uh, sitting in your office space and, and watching mm -hmm. this. So uh, so it's kind of neat. And, and then, of course, that last video teaches family caregivers how to recognize common behaviors that people um, who are experiencing pain will show. And so this is helpful for recognizing pain in people who can't self-report. Um, one of the other big projects that I'm leading is uh, we've nicknamed it Improving Pain in Saskatchewan. And this is a community-based um, action-oriented project. We have uh, a number of researchers from different departments at the University of Saskatchewan, a number of different healthcare providers, clinicians, um, physicians and nurses. We have healthcare decision makers within the, uh, the health authority. And most importantly, we have uh, uh, three people who live with pain on our research team. And uh, in that project, we interviewed over 150 people in Saskatoon and Yorkton and Regina. And so uh, with that project, we came up with a list of 61 different change strategies or, or things that people identified that could be improved or developed to better support people living with pain. The virtual reality project sounds incredible. That's so innovative and so cool. And I bet the participants love it. And as for the improving pain in Saskatchewan, we actually have uh, one of the research team members scheduled for an interview to tell us more about this, but it also sounds huge and incredible. And I feel like there's going to be amazing things coming out of it for Saskatchewan residents. So that's super exciting. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, it'll be great for you to talk to Jessica, our research assistant from Saskatoon, and, and she'll tell you all about the exciting work that's happening. So it's been a really fascinating project and, and uh, you know, some really uh, impactful stories that we've heard from people in all three of our, our research sites. But And we're hoping the things that we develop um, and the information that we've heard from those three areas that it can affect change all across the province and not just in those those three communities, but we're hoping it'll branch out and, and reach people all over the province. Absolutely. And now I have to ask, because we keep seeming to mention this in passing, but what is so fascinating to you about pain? You're obviously very passionate or you wouldn't be so heavily involved in so many different fields of care and advocacy. So I, I have mixed emotions when it comes to pain uh, that probably feel, fuel my uh, work in this area. First, 
pain is absolutely amazing to me. I just, the more I learn about the nervous system and how it works to make pain happen, uh, it just kind of mind, it's mind blowing. So uh, we used to think it was really simple. And even when I, you know, back when I did my physiotherapy training, I thought it was really quite straightforward that, you know, you injure a body tissue and the pain signals go up to the brain and ring a little bell and you feel pain, but uh, it is so much more interesting than that. Um, so there's this incredible concert of events that happens in the nervous system, both the nerves in the body tissues and also at the level of the spinal cord, the brain stem, the higher centers of the brain and relay systems that go back down again to the spinal cord and then even out to the tissues again. And all of that works together to make up the pain experience. And, uh, and so what's incredible is that it's so different for everyone and it keeps changing over your lifetime as well. It's, I like to think of it like artificial intelligence, although it's not artificial at all, <laughs> but kind of like that same level of fascination where it's the, the nervous system learns and it changes in response to both pain as well as other events that are happening in your life. And it can change for good and it can change to be more painful for you. So um, so that is is fascinating to me how that works. And the research in the field of pain science has just been exploding, particularly in the last 10 to 15 years. So it's still a relatively young field and really exciting to see these huge quantum leaps of knowledge and how that impacts practice and how it impacts what we do with people with pain. And there's going to be these massive changes, even in the next 20 years, there's going to be revolutionary changes in how we understand and treat pain. Um, so every conference I go to, I learn so many new things and there's still lots to learn too. So that's the positive side of things, but um, how there is the the ugly side too. I, I also feel really sad um, when I hear people's stories, either my patients that I worked with or um, the research participants that I talked to. I know that it's so hard to treat pain in, in some people and, and that, you know, really results in a lot of suffering, you know, right from young children all the way to older adults and people at the end of life. Um, and I feel quite angry sometimes too, because I've heard so many really infuriating stories about injustices that people have faced. And there's a lot of stigma and discrimination that can be associated with pain, especially uh, in people when there's overlaps as well with substance use disorders or with mental health disorders. There's a, a lot of, um, you know, unfair treatment that I've heard of. And, you know, chronic pain is an invisible disease. You look at me, you probably wouldn't know that I lived with chronic uh, headaches, but, uh, um, and, and sometimes it's difficult to understand. You could do a CAT scan of my neck, you could do x-rays and you would probably find very little to nothing wrong with me. So there's that invisible disease that's hard to diagnose. And with that comes a lot of, um, misunderstanding and, uh, you know, lots of people have told me they, people say, you know, you don't look sick. Obviously there's nothing wrong with you. You know, if you maybe just moved more, you'd feel better. And, <laughs> It's like, well, <laughs> it's not that simple, really. You know, it's not just a sense. Of, it's not just, you know, be happy and, and your pain will go away or do do this or do that and your pain will go away. It, it's it's a chronic disease and you have to treat it like that. So and you have to work regularly at it to, to make it better and to make it budge. Um, so, you know, and I've, I've heard stories about people saying that, you know, because of their chronic pain, they've lost their jobs or they've lost their friendships or family relationships or, you know, it's affected their mental health. Some people have, uh, you know, I've heard from family members about other people living with chronic pain who've 
um, died by suicide because of their suffering to as a way to escape. And so that to me is just the injustice of this disease. And, and, uh, and so that to me is, you know, it feels my feels definitely my, my passion to advocate for people living with pain, uh, because it shouldn't be that way. Um, it, it should be people living with pain should be supported and should be, you know, treated fairly. Uh, you know, I, I feel angry when I hear those stories and I, I want to help people to better understand pain at both healthcare providers, as well as people living with it so that these misconceptions don't make life worse for people. And, uh, you know, people are just trying to cope with this condition. And so as a society, we really need to work together to better support this group. Absolutely. And I'm sure both that uh, that sadness and anger resonates with so many people who have experienced pain in any capacity. And that's why it is so great to hear that there are these projects happening in our own province that are including patient voices so that clinicians and the broader medical system, um, the government can truly take that perspective into account to improve and expand care options. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to say to someone who has just been diagnosed with chronic pain or maybe a pain syndrome and maybe they're possibly feeling overwhelmed. Is there any advice you would give to them? Um, there are two important things to keep in mind. Um, first of all, our current diagnostic tools are pretty limited. <laughs> and uh, they're good at finding things like x-rays, CAT scans, blood tests. They're good at finding things wrong with our bones and joints and um, you know some of the, the chemicals floating through us like inflammation or rheumatoid arthritis, things like that. Um, but these diagnostic tools can't see everything and they cannot see the changes that happen in the nervous system that make chronic pain happen. Um, so your pain doesn't need to make sense to anyone else <laughs> and it doesn't need to match the CAT scan or the blood test or the clinical exam that the healthcare provider is, is doing to you. So if someone says to you, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with you, what they actually mean is with this test that I just did, I didn't find the thing that I was looking for. Um, it, it doesn't mean that your pain doesn't exist. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Uh, it just means that there's another explanation other than that one disease or that one, um, you know, thing that they were looking for. And, uh, like I said earlier, that's, that's good news. <laughs> You know, people often think they're disappointed if they get these negative CAT scan results back or, you know, nothing was found. They're disappointed because it's like they don't have an explanation for your pain. And I get that. But at the same time, you're, you have to treat both the pain and any underlying disease separately, concurrently. They require different treatments sometimes. So it's rare when somebody can treat a disease and also get rid of their pain. And most people don't understand that. They, they think that, oh, if I get rid of the arthritis, the pain will go away. Well, that's not the case. Even a third of people who have a, a knee joint replacement will continue to have ongoing pain from their osteoarthritic knee after the knee joint is replaced. And so um, you can get rid of the joint, <laughs> but still have the pain because of what's happening in the nervous system to keep it going. So it's okay for you to have a normal CAT scan or blood test result. That just means great. You get to focus on the pain instead of also having to deal with this underlying disease as well. It's a, a bit of a mind shift. <laughs> I think that, you know, it takes a little bit of time for people to kind of wrap their brains around. 
Um, the second important thing I think is, uh, you know, really important thing for people to remember is that pain can change. Um, I've, I've had patients in my office where, you know, 20, 25 years old, and they're in tears thinking, if this is what I'm feeling now, like, what am I going to be feeling when I'm 50 or 70, you know, when it's normal for people to be achy and sore all the time, like they get this um, sense, or maybe they've been told that it only gets worse from here. And that is overwhelming and it's wrong. Uh, and that's my own personal experience. I think my pain was probably at its peak when I was in my mid twenties. And since then I've found ways of, of working with it and helping, and it's gotten so much better now that I'm in my fifties. So even if you've lived with pain for decades and like I have, <laughs> you can change your pain. And I am not saying that it's easy. Um, it requires consistent work and it's not that you fix it and it goes away. It's a daily thing that you have to keep on top of. Um, but with persistence and patience and acceptance of the fact that it might be a long journey, you can change your pain and you can live well. That is such a good and strong message uh, to be relaying and such a relief to hear as I think there is sort of a narrative in a lot of pain care where um, a provider may not be specializing in pain itself. And the patient is often told that this is something they are going to have to simply manage for the rest mm. of their lives. It may not improve. As you said, it may get worse. And that can be so scary to hear when there isn't any level of hope attached to it, um, especially for conditions that aren't relatively well understood. But as you've said, the brain and the nervous system are incredible and there are always ways to improve and live a full life. But sometimes it does take that trial and error, which I have personally experienced with my own pain, but I was very grateful to have care providers who made sure I still held on to uh, that level of hope to know that it would get better. So it just makes me very, very happy to hear you saying this. And I think that's great advice for anybody just kind of starting on a chronic pain journey. Mm -hmm. But then lastly, um, since we're almost at the end here, since this is a Saskatchewan-based podcast, would you be willing to tell us about some of your favorite things about living in Saskatchewan? Or is there a favorite place you love in the province? Yeah, I, I actually grew up in Southern Ontario. And then uh, after I graduated from my physiotherapy training, moved to Vancouver. And then, uh, <laughs> um, you know, against the advice of a number of people moved to Saskatchewan. So I, uh, you know, everybody was like, you're moving from Vancouver to Saskatchewan? Why? <laughs> and I kept joking, saying, oh, for the weather. And it actually, it turns out that I like the weather here much better. So I mean, it took me a while to kind of get over pouting when it was, you know, February and it was freezing here in Vancouver, the, the blossoms are all coming out, but I feel like I've kind of, I'm getting used to the very cold winters, not really looking forward to, you know, going back into winter now, but, um, but overall, I, I love the sunshine. Uh, the sky, of course, is, is just spectacular. It can be a regular day and the clouds are just a beautiful landscape. So we don't have mountains and things like that, but uh, you know our sky is is equally beautiful and it changes constantly. So uh, it's uh, quite spectacular. But probably the the best thing about Saskatchewan is the people. They're just they're open hearted, kind, generous people, and and uh, you know I've met so many great people here. So I love I like Saskatchewan. So that's great. 
Yeah. And I feel like it's pretty common even for the people who were born and raised here to not totally love the winters. So I guess you can get away with that one, but um, (laughs) that's so great. And I agree the skies and the people are truly something else here for sure. So Susan, thank you so much um, for your time today and giving us all your incredible insight um, to speak with your partners in pain. And I hope that we can have you back because I feel like we have a lot more discussions that we could probably delve into for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me and thanks for for leading this work, Alexandria. It's great. It's uh, I look forward to listening to all your podcasts. I feel like the future of pain care and research in Saskatchewan is in great hands. And if anyone wants to contact Susan or has any questions for her, I will include this information in the show notes, but you can email Susan through the Sask Pain website at info at saskpain.ca or if you are active on social media susan is on twitter at smtpt so you can send her a tweet or you can drop her a message with some feedback on the improving pain in saskatchewan instagram or facebook pages and susan will get back to you as quickly as she can thank you for listening to your partners in pain a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SaskPain or visit our official website, www.saskpain.ca.